Praise the Lord, church. Today we'll be reading from um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you turn with me to your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we'll be reading from verse 17 through 21 and going straight to chapter 6, reading verses 1 through 2. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Chapter 6. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. This is the reading of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Thank you, Tina. Before we, uh, one of the things we do week in and week out is come and sit under the authority of God's word. Uh, we believe it and we want the Lord to speak to us. So before we sit together under the authority of God's word, just let me remind you that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yeah, even piles of gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Just in your own mind, pray along with me from Psalm 19. Let the words of my mouth then and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. We are, if you're a guest this morning, we're in a series on uh, personal evangelism. What we, what we are thinking about is how we uh, have the privilege and the responsibility to share Christ with other people. And the series is Multiply, and today we're thinking about reconciliation, being reconciled to God. I think if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've got this impulse, right, to tell other people about Jesus. I think one of the hardest things about sharing my faith with an unchurched person is timing. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been 30 seconds late 
or a minute late. I leave the coffee shop and it hits me. Man, I, I had an opportunity to, to speak gospel hope right there. Or I leave the curb with a neighbor and I back away and I'm, I'm like 30 seconds behind. I'm a minute behind. So what I want to do, and this maybe is true of your life as well. What I want to do is, is try to slow the game down a little bit for us this morning so we can see what's happening. If you like football, it's football season. If you like college football or pro football, um, you'll hear the commentators talking all the time about how the better quarterbacks, you know, like Trevor Lawrence or Joe Burrow, these other guys who, who played really well at the collegiate level, that the football game slowed down for them at some point. You ever heard, the, you ever heard a commentator talk about that? that? That this quarterback, the game has slowed down for him. What that means is there's this frenzied activity on the football field, and it's hard to see everywhere at once, but, but a more mature quarterback sees it kind of in slow motion in his mind and he's got poise and composure and he checks down on his reads and 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 he can make a play and it just comes with maturity of the game the game of life that you and I are living in is really fast and I think what's happening to me so many times is that in this frenzied pace and the games people are flying all over all, all, all around the field um, I, I don't see until it's too late what's happening. I kind of get stuck there like a freshman quarterback. Oh, was I supposed to throw the ball just now? Has this ever happened to you? So what I want you to think about this morning is that in, in especially in the game of life, in this high-speed game of life, there are broken relationships all over the place. And all the time, these plays are unfolding in front of us. People are talking negatively about one another. There's gossip. There's resentment. There's disrupted relationships. There's judgment. People are critical of one another, disagreeing, rudely disagreeing, choosing upsides casting judgment and it's not just children I mean this is how adults talk this is adult talk and and we're standing there wondering what we should do sometimes if you're like me you got this opening and then it just passes and I miss the opportunity to weave a gospel word in. What I'm trying to say to you is this. We as Christians, we, we, have, this, we have this opportunity, this moment. The, we have, the, we have a, a, a secret weapon. I, I think you think about that. Think about it like that. We have a secret weapon for these moments. We don't, we don't have to pile on and just jump into the conversation and pile on. And we certainly don't want to bring judgment into that conversation at that moment. But over and over again, all the time, we have these opportunities to speak a word of gospel hope. And it could sound something like this. Look, the next time you hear somebody going off on somebody else and you're in the conversation and they're critical, they're gossiping, they're judgmental, whatever it is, step into that moment as an ambassador of Christ and try something like this. I hear your frustration. I hear the disappointment. I think I might even hear some resentment or some anger. Can I tell you one of the things that I love about Christianity that I am learning? One of the things I'm learning about the gospel and about Christianity is that it has the power to reconcile people like nothing else I've ever seen. 
That Christianity has the power to reconcile people because who wants to live in this tension? Who wants to live mad? Nobody really wants to live mad. Some of us have trained ourselves to enjoy living mad, but nobody really wants to live mad. So consider saying something like this. You know what, man, I hear you. I hear your frustration. I hear the, the, the brokenness of this. Um, maybe even some resentment. I want, I want you to hear, I'm learning something through the gospel of Jesus, and I think Christianity has an answer to the healing of relationships like nothing else to help make right some of these wrongs we're talking about right here. I would love to talk further with you about that at some point. At the very least, that could, could help to neutralize the vitriol and the bitterness of so many conversations. So what I'm trying to do is, is, is I'm trying to slow the game down for you a little bit. I'm trying to, to help you see it's going to happen again this week. The frenzied, crazy thing of life is going to happen again this week. You're going to have a chance to speak a word into it. Be careful that you don't pile on and be careful that you don't cast judgment. Somehow find that middle place where you can bring gospel hope and encourage people that Christianity has the answer to some of the very things that we're struggling with day in and day out, conversation after conversation. Let me give you three points that will help, I hope, to foster your desire to step in, to give you a little confidence in Christ and the gospel to step into this moment. Number one, remember that God is the driving force behind reconciliation. This is going to help you. God is the driving force behind reconciliation. Verse 18, all this is from God. All this is from God. In this single phrase, Paul assures us that salvation is the work of God. I, I love lines like this. You're rolling along and Paul just drops in this summary line that like says, okay, Everything I've been talking about with regard to salvation is from God. This is not something we came up with. This is not something we can do for ourselves. He says, verse 18, all this is from God. Now, what does he mean, all this? He's at least referring to verse 17, and I think probably even broader, the whole concept of God coming to us in Christ. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, Behold, the new has come. God, Paul is saying God alone has the power to bring you out of the kingdom of darkness and self-centeredness into the kingdom of his beloved son. God alone has the power to save. God, alone, God alone has the power to reconcile. God alone has the power to, to bring new life. God is making all things new in Christ, and that includes us, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, He's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Now, who would not want, who doesn't want that kind of change? Everybody wants that kind of change. People are all the time looking for new, fresh, clean, all the time. A fresh start, a washing and a cleansing from the accumulated grunge of life that gets on me and in me. I'm in the middle of a project right now, so 
you know the classic stone walls that are all over Roanoke, right? That, you know, might be four, six, eight feet tall, however tall they are. There's a wall that separates our yard from our neighbor's yard, and that classic Roanoke stone wall is just nasty with this black mildew and gunk that's just built up over years and years, I mean, probably decades, some of it. And, it, you know, you can't even see the, the mortar in between the rocks, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's just nasty. So I'm halfway through a project, uh, and, and I'm, you know, you can't just use water, just walk up to the wall and just spray it with water. And you can put a pressure washer on that, but if you do that, you ruin what? You ruin your mortar joint, and you split the rock, and that's not good. So you need something that'll penetrate. So you find spray and forget. Spray and forget is a beautiful thing. You spray it on. And Vicky said, well, aren't you just supposed to forget about it then? I'm like, yeah, but I'd like to come back with the hose. So you come back with the hose, and you put the hose on it just with just enough water pressure, and this gunk that's been there for a decade just starts falling off the wall. You could have scraped it all day long with a brush before that hour treatment. But when you, when you get spray and forget on there, there's something that happens to it. There's a, there's a chemical reaction going on. And you come back and you hose it down. And so I'm halfway through. The left half of the wall looks brand new. I'm pulling up the road yesterday and I'm looking at it. I go, man, that looks amazing. The right half of the wall is nasty and old and black and it needs help. Paul says, look, in Christ, you become a new creation. And that old, black, nasty, accumulated heart, junk, that's accumulating on your heart and in your soul. Only Jesus can do this. The first 18 years of my life, before I, might, before I met Christ, I lied, cheated, and stole. That's the short list. I lied to my parents. I cheated on tests in high school. I can take you back to the test and the room and the teacher. I stole from the 7-Eleven. I can take you back to the intersection of that 7-Eleven in Tampa, Florida today. I have it in my mind. Because guilt runs deep. And for 18 years of my life, I'm accumulating grunge and guilt on the walls of my heart and I'm trying to figure out how to deal with it. I'm trying to get it to go away, but it doesn't go away. Until I meet Christ. And the power of the blood of Jesus that we're singing about supernaturally and miraculously, it's kind of like spray and forget. Jesus, except you shouldn't ever forget this, Jesus apply something to your heart and soul that can that literally mysteriously amazingly but quite literally begins to eat away at your guilt and your grunge and your old life so Paul can say with incredible confidence if anybody is in Christ if the gospel of Christ has been applied to anybody's heart he is a new creation look at this side of the wall he's beautifully clean She's been made new. The old has passed away, and the new has come. Paul says only God can do this. If you understand anything about Christianity, it's this. 
You can't save yourself. You can't wash yourself. You can't cleanse yourself. You can't fix yourself. If you're considering the gospel, consider this. All this is from God. God alone has the power to save and rescue. God is the driving force behind reconciliation. And unless God is the driving force behind this, there's no real reconciliation that's going to ever happen. As you think about the gospel that you offer your friends, your family, your siblings, your children, as you think about promoting the gospel, talking about the gospel, seeing the game unfold and realize, oh man, now, now's a moment for me to speak for Christ. Let this, let this encourage you. God is at work. God wants to do for them the same thing that he did for you. God is the driving force behind reconciliation. All right, now, number two, let me get into what reconciliation is about in the Bible. So God acted in Christ to reconcile us. How does all this work? How does the gospel work? What does Paul have in mind? Verse 19 says that God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself. God in and through Christ was reconciling the world to himself. It's important to just back up and kind of answer the question, why is he using reconcile language? He's using reconcile language because reconcile is the language of two opposing parties. So who are the two parties that are at odds with one another in this passage? God and man. They are opposed to each other. In fact, the Bible teaches us elsewhere that we've made ourselves enemies of God. So the problem is not with God's side, the problem is with our side, right? So there's this, there's this separation between God and man. The problem is on my side. And God wants to act in and through Christ to make the relationship right again, to reconcile the two opposing parties. The first step in understanding the gospel is realizing that on my end, I'm part of the problem. So that Isaiah 59 says, your iniquities have separated you. Your evil, your heart, your behavior, your sin has separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you. Your hands have blood on them. Your lips have spoken lies. It's the consistent message of the Bible that my sin, that the problem is on my side of the relationship, not God's. And the consistent message of the Bible is that sin has to be dealt with somehow or we will forever remain separated. In fact, the separation will grow more uh, significant and more and more profound over time because through the consequence of sin, you continue to heap judgment on your own life. So the separation gets worse. If, if, if the problem's not solved, it, it doesn't just sit there. It, it gets worse and worse, and people distance themselves from God, and their hearts get hardened, and their consciences get seared, and, and the next thing you know, there's an eternal consequence, and there's an eternal separation. The Bible calls that hell. Hell is a place of eternal conscious torment and separation from God. And some people think, well, that's not so bad to be separated from God. I've, been, I've felt separated from distance from God for a long time. It would be very bad. I promise. 
It'd be very bad to be separated from God and His grace. And you don't even know how bad because you're experiencing common grace right now that you don't even know. God is doing things to look out for you. You don't even want Him to do them, but He's doing them, and He's making your life better than it should be. How does this happen? How does God reconcile? Okay, so I gave you a big picture. God has acted in Christ to bring us back to himself. That's the big idea. Let me give you a gospel formula that's really concrete. It's in verse 21. Look at verse 21 with me. Here's how it happened. For our sake, verse 21, for our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is one of my all-time favorite verses that, that, that just captures what happened in the great exchange of the gospel. So God made him who knew no sin to become sin on my, for me so that I could get his righteousness placed on my life. Let me, let me illustrate it like this. So picture the left hand, uh, the left hand is me. This is you, you and me, we're on the left hand. Jesus is the right hand. All right, now imagine in my left hand like this big gnarly pile of nasty sin that is my accumulated sin all like in one place. God takes my sin and lays it on the perfect innocent son of God who never committed a transgression. We do believe Jesus, the son of God, lived a perfectly holy, sinless life. So much so that John would say when he saw him, behold the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. So imagine all this nastiness that is my sin on me. Imagine that God somehow makes an exchange at the cross of Jesus Christ where God takes my sin and puts it on him. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That doesn't mean Jesus like, became the ontological essence of sin. Don't get too hung up in the philosophy of this. Right? What the verse is trying to say is that our sin was placed on him. Our curse, our curse was placed on him. That's the first part of the exchange. So God made him who knew no sin to be, to be sin for us. And then the second part of the verse says, so that, what? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus brings to the formula, Jesus brings to the other side of the equation, perfect, beautiful, pure righteousness, holiness, um, love, mercy, every good perfection you could attribute to God, Jesus embodies it, and he says, I'm, I'm going to give that to you. <laughs> I'm going to amazingly take from you what you shouldn't have taken from you, and I'm going to give to you what you don't deserve. God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness that you're looking for, okay, I'm still on this hand, Jesus, the, per the perfection that you're looking for, the righteousness that you're looking for. You keep trying to perfect yourself, you can't get it, you can't find it anywhere else. You can't please God in your own work. It's the Tom Brady syndrome, right? I mean, Tom told us about this years ago in interviews that the reason he keeps playing football is because he's trying 
He's pursuing the perfect game. He's pursuing the perfect season. It never ends for him. I mean, who goes down to play for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers after you've won a million Super Bowls? Somebody who's driving himself to perfection. But you have tried. You've tried to perfect yourself. You've tried to be good. You've tried to be more righteous. Listen, here's the heart of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel is I can stop trying. I can stop striving to perfect myself. The righteousness of God that I've been looking for, that I've been yearning for, the perfection that my soul keeps longing for is embodied in Jesus. You cannot perfect yourself. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. He took my sin for our sake, it says, verse 21. Write this down on your heart. For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. The curse was placed on him so that you could then get the perfecting righteousness of God placed on you. Paul will say elsewhere, imputed to you or declared true of you. If you by faith throw yourself on the mercy of Christ, you could be made perfect in Christ. Like, that's something everybody's looking for. Everybody's looking for the perfect game. Everybody's looking for the perfect life. You can't find it apart from Jesus. That's the heart of the gospel. That's why when you hear your friends so mad about things, gossiping, being critical, rolling off on people. And when you hear that, you have an opportunity to tap like right into the heart of what it is they're struggling with when you bring the gospel to the table. See, Christianity has an answer for this. Christianity has an answer for us trying to perfect ourselves. Here's the third thing. So... The heart of the gospel is that God acted in Christ to reconcile us, so we no longer try to perfect ourselves. We find our perfection in and through Jesus. Jesus alone is my perfection. Just keep telling yourself that. Number three. Remember, if, you, if you've experienced God's grace, it's not just for me. It's not just for you. God's grace is never just for us. So that's what I was talking about in verse 21. That's grace. Grace is getting someone else's perfection, Jesus' perfection, for free. It becomes yours. Not because you earn it, but because you throw yourself on the mercy of Christ. And then once you taste grace, listen, a, being a Christian is about Here's one way to think about defining what it means to, to live the Christian life. Someone whose palate, someone whose palate is growing in, in a taste for grace. An ongoing, oh, that's what grace tastes like? That's what grace smells like? That's what the gospel can do for me? And it's not just for me, it's so that I can share it with others, the nature of the gospel is always to give, to share, to multiply, to send, to invite someone else in, to cascade down to the next person. So verse 20 says this, therefore, look at verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. 
He could have just as easily said, we are ambassadors of grace. We are ambassadors of reconciliation. And to keep with the theme of this passage, we are ambassadors of the reconciling grace of God. Now, look at verse 20 again because I want to show you something. Paul chooses the word ambassador purposefully and he does it. He doesn't say apostles. He doesn't say elite Christian group. He doesn't say pastors and missionaries. Paul says ambassadors purposefully to expand the ministry to all Christians, every single person who has tasted God's grace, who has personally been reconciled to Jesus, is entrusted with sharing that grace with someone else, with the beautiful ministry of reconciliation. To be an ambassador of the United States, that would be a pretty amazing thing. To be an ambassador of the United States of America and to live in a foreign country and represent all that is good about America to that place, to Argentina or France or Germany or China or wherever, to be an ambassador for all that is good about America in another culture, in another country, would be an amazing privilege, wouldn't it? That's exactly what you and I are here in this culture, but belonging to a heavenly city belonging to a heavenly world. And so we represent the king and his kingdom as ambassadors, every single one of us, every single one of us every day who have tasted God's grace and are believers, we are ambassadors for Christ. We've been entrusted with a, an opportunity, a responsibility to say to other people, be reconciled to God. Verse 20, again, therefore, we are ambassadors. It's, we are ambassadors as if God were making his appeal through us. Like God wants to speak through you. That's mind-blowing. You think about this. God has chosen to use you to take his grace to someone else. He wants to use you. It's, it's not just the job of a few Christians on a visitation program. This is the heart of the gospel to give away God's grace to someone else. We beg you. Now, one other thing I need to point out before we close. Look at this language of urgency again, because one of the things I hope that this series will do for you is that you will leave with a little more sense of, of urgency. Like, all right, the game is slowing down for me. I see what's happening. Now I need to step in here. I need to have a sense of urgency to, to bring a gospel word in this moment. I, 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 need, I need some gospel courage here. And so look at the urgency in the, throughout the text. Uh, verse 20, appeal. Or chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 6, verse 1, we appeal to you. Therefore, we appeal, we implore, again, back in verse 20, we implore you, we beg you, we're persuading you. In fact, in, in, in chapter 6, verse 2, he says, today is the day of salvation. Like, if that's not urgency language, hey, tomorrow, tomorrow might not be here. Tomorrow might not happen for some of us. Therefore, act with urgency, Paul says. Be reconciled to God. 
We appeal to you. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. You've heard about the grace of God over and over and over again. The Corinthian church had heard, and, and so many in the church are either not, not believers um, or have drifted so far from the grace of God that they tasted to begin with. Paul says, don't return to the grace of God lest we bring the grace of God to you or you receive the grace of God in vain. Now is the day of salvation. We beg you. So, so it's going to happen. Sometime this week, you're going to get a chance to, to talk to someone. You're going to be in a moment that's, you're going to be in a small context. Two or three people will be talking. Uh, it'll be negative. It'll be critical. Uh, it might be unchurched. It might be unbelieving context. It might be some believers. You're, you're going to have a chance to speak the reconcile. You're going to have a chance to be an ambassador, to stand between two parties. And I want to encourage you to let the driving force of God's grace, just, just let it gently come into that moment. Gently not because you're afraid, but just gently because you want to avoid judgment on one hand, and you certainly don't want to pile on, jump in, and just keep feeding the criticism and the gossip or the resentment or whatever it is. Bring this sense of urgency from 2 Corinthians 5 into a conversation this week and just see what the Lord does. I mean, what's the risk at this point? See what the Lord will do to use you to speak into that moment. Ask the Lord to give you the right spirit, a sense of gentleness and godliness, but gospel, breathe some grace into that moment. Man, it's coming, it's coming. Let's ask the Lord to help us slow this game down and speak gospel hope. Now, as we come to the Lord's table, let me remind you that the table is for those who have tasted grace. Um, Otherwise, this won't make sense to you. And, it, and also for those who have, uh, have followed Christ in baptism. So if in our faith tradition, if you've not yet made your faith public through baptism, we would ask you just to observe the Lord's table. Just watch and see what's happening. If you have made your faith known publicly through baptism and uh, you've trusted Christ, you're actively trusting in Him. You're, you're actively trusting in Him right now then we would welcome you to receive the table with us. Um, Let me give you a couple logistical, kind of how we're gonna do this, and then I wanna pray for us. And I wanna connect it to 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, In just a moment, after I pray, if you're in these front two sections, if you'll just kind of slip out to the aisle, and pick up the elements, and then come back in down the center aisle, and the same on this side. If you're not comfortable carrying the elements back to your seat with you, which is no problem at all, uh, the Aldridges in this service, they will have um, a tray of both and they'll just kind of drift down here through the middle, make eye contact with them and um, we'll get you served, okay? So you don't have to carry it back to your seat. If you're uncomfortable doing that, um, we'll serve you. If you're in the common space and you'd like to join us, please come in 
and, and receive it as well from the commons. And I think Daniel and Chris Brown are out here to serve those who um, may not be comfortable carrying it back to their seats with them as well. As you come to the table this morning, think about this with me. Just, just think about the mercy of God. If anybody is in Christ, man, who doesn't want new life? So if anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and all things are new. That's what Jesus is doing for us. That's what he did. That's what he continues to do for us is to bring us new life. Let's, let's delight in that as we pray and come and receive. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you, it pleases you when we come in repentance and confession and faith. It pleases you to wipe away the grunge. It pleases you to cleanse us deeply. Lord, would you let some deep cleaning, Lord, would you let some deep cleaning happen in our hearts today because of your body that was broken for us and your powerful new covenant blood that was poured out to cleanse us from our sin. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.